0: We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done.
1: If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889.
0: In today's episode, listener feedback. Well, we got farther than we did last time, Bill.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, do remind me not to, to... Talk
0: about the power company. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, this is Ooh. it's like <laughs> the gods are working against us today. I think so. Between audio issues with new versions of software and power issues. I'm the one in California. I expected my power to go out, not yours, but hey. Okay. Well, I think we're we're on a roll here. We're we're <laughs> going. We're not gonna talk about the weather. We've already talked about the power company. <laughs> Let's let's talk about Apple. Okay, this is a your, Linux favorite, co- your favorite
1: your uh, favorite thing to talk about.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness! So last week, I had uh, a few emails from some listeners saying that we couldn't be found in Apple's iTunes or what they're calling it now, their podcast app. That we had become delisted. Of course, if you were subscribed, you were still getting the episodes, I think. (laughs) At least it was in my iTunes test on my phone. Uh, And it didn't have an impact. I didn't see any impact on other podcast receiving software. But forever, we have never had an SSL certificate for our website and that's an encryption certificate that allows you to use HTTPS in front of your website address rather than HTTP and of course our podcast feed uses that as well and some time ago Apple had said that they're going to stop listing podcasts that don't have the SSL certificate and I applaud them in trying to make sure that things are as secure as they can make them. And, uh, but they said that sometime before the end of this year that they were going to start, you know, dropping podcasts that didn't have these certificates. Well, you can get free SSL certificates from let's encrypt, but my web hosting company, Um, in a, I'm not going to say money grab, but it's a money grab. Um, They have said, we don't accept the free certificates. You have to buy one from us. And they were charging hundreds of dollars earlier this year and prior to that in order to get that per year. And so when Apple dropped us, I thought, well, looks like I'm going to have to bite the bullet and go pay for this. When I went to pay for it, I noticed that the price had dropped to $40 a year. Amazing how competition drops the price. They're still charging for it. They don't offer it free, but uh, at least $40 in a year is much more reasonable and it hasn't increased our mm, podcasting costs significantly, but it's just the principle of the thing. Anyway, I've relented. I've got our SSL certificates. Uh, I resubmitted the podcast to Apple. They have relisted us. You should be able to find it there. I had to go into places like Stitcher and TuneIn and places like that and make sure that they had the new links to the website with the HTTPS in front of it and the links to the feeds in front of it. And If your podcasting software is having a problem with our feed now, you might have to resubscribe. And listener Greg said in our MIRI group, Ah, that's why Bash Potter is just automatically downloaded all the episodes from 250 through 378 again. I figured something's changed. I just didn't know what. <laughs> so that may happen to you as well. But to suffice it to say, we're still podcasting. We're still available in Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. And hopefully, it's just happening transparently to you.
1: <laughs> that's um, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of crappy. Just oh, we're just delisting you, you know? Okay, thanks.
0: Well, they you know to be fair to them, they did give lots of warning, and I held out <laughs> to the last minute in hopes that <laughs> my web hosting company would relent and offer those SSL certificates for free. And it and, paid off because you know if I had uh subscribe to their service to provide the SSL certificate and press the button that says install for me, then uh <laughs> you know, hmm. uh which is I'm sure all they had to do is just press a software Pre- button press and away button. It goes. Press SSL yeah. button. Uh, uh yeah. So it it did pay off. They relented and reduced the price at least. Not free, but yeah, it's, affordable.
1: Yeah, Forty bucks a year. So, I see that you geeked out a little bit on me, and uh, you, yeah. were, you were testing out uh, the Zoran Ultimate and the uh, core, and so you actually uh, sent me this, and I was kind of chuckled because this is this is a Larry Bushy thing completely. It says uh, Zoran Ultimate has a total of seven hundred and fifty three packages and libraries that are in, that are in addition to the core version all but 6 can be installed from within Zorn Core. The 6 packages that be installed are contained in Zorn's uh, proprietary premium PPA and they include Zorn Appearance Layout Shells Premium, Zorn OS Ultimate Business Apps, Zorn OS Ultimate Games, Zorn OS Ultimate Zorn Ult- uh, Ultimate Media Apps and Zorn OS Ultimate Zorn Apps. And so, <laughs> I'm like, Larry was bored. He went, He actually counted <laughs> the packages. Um, but, you know, I, when I saw that, I, I went and looked to see what, uh, you know, like in the, because um, I had recommended Zorn highly. Uh, and yeah. And I'm looking and I'm like, what is different in the business app? So, I went and I'm looking and uh, and I'm still trying to figure out, because I, I see... I mean, I don't really see, you know, anything because I'm just actually looking at it right now. I mean, there's a few things, uh, but there's nothing, uh, that I would say that aren't open source. Maybe they just put some open source into their proprietary or cleaned it up. I know they have a Zorin Connect, which is, uh, uh, allows your cell phone and your computer Mm, to talk. Okay. But, But that's like the KDE Connect. Right. So, and then the media apps, uh, you know, I'm looking, and um, you know, I just don't see anything, and I'm just wondering. I, I'm going to have to do a little more digging to see which pr- apps they put into these these categories because I'm sitting there going, "Uh, why?" <laughs> so anyway, uh, once I figure that out, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll talk more about it. But I'm just i i can understand the premium appearance layouts but what i don't see what the ultimate business apps or the ultimate games i i all the games are open source there's some of the better ones there's like never Put and, and uh maybe they're talking maybe it's that that uh bejewel clone game that i have not spent two hours playing at times
0: um <laughs> Well, I'm thinking it's probable that these uh, packages that they hide behind their premium PPA are simply packages of pre-bundled open source applications that they install for us Mm -hmm. as part of these packages. And not that the, the applications are proprietary, but certainly the premium PPA is behind their firewall, so you can't get into it unless you pay them the money, which is fine. And maybe there are some specific utilities that they've built to make Zorin a little more efficient and effective at at running itself. But, you know, uh, when you get Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate or any of the Buntus and many of the other distributions out there, those tweaks, they provide them at no charge with the distribution. And oftentimes they will offer them upstream and maybe Debian or someone else adopts them and then they get pushed out to all of the distributions. But that's that's kind of the open source model is to provide your improvements back. And even with that with the open source model Zorin has the the right to take th- what they've done in the way of packaging things together yeah. and improvements and so on and and not offering them upstream but there you go um, yeah
1: I, I don't have a problem with them doing doing that you know um, <clears throat> I've been running Zorin pretty much non-stop and mm-hmm. uh, since you know you do, I think it's gone on what about two, two and a half months, something like that. And it's been pretty rock solid, but I, I, there's a few things that I, I wanted to bring up to you that um, that I, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, um, hmm, you know, it's just one of those uh, thought. Just uh, makes
0: you go, hmm. Yeah,
1: hmm. <laughs> okay, so this is my feelings on Zorin. Is, is Zorin still a good uh, first-time Linux, I would say yes, but I would not say that it's any better than uh, we'll just use Ubuntu Mate. Um, the few things that I've noticed is if you want a system that just works, that's great, but they're building on the backs of giants, which there's nothing wrong with that. You, They're building on Ubuntu 18.4 LTS. So, you know, the, the what actually makes it, so good is all the work that Ubuntu does. The, the, the one thing that, uh, always concerns me is, is, um, you know, you have the PPAs and, you know, that there's, you know, I know PPA is, you know, your personal package or archive or whatever the, whatever the acronym stands for, basically lets you add to the Ubuntu system. But, uh, we both, uh, I don't know, maybe you haven't, but I, I've had issues, not with Zorin, but I've had issues with uh, the PPAs no longer supported, or, you know, there's things break, or especially during upgrades. So I went and I was looking, uh, I went and looked at Ubuntu Mate, and said, okay, let me see. And I opened up and went to look and see what PPAs, I didn't see any. <laughs> but uh, when I opened up Zorin, oh, it had like, Like five or six different PPAs, and uh, it's just a a level of uh, an additional level uh, layer of compatibility. So, you know, what happens if something, if the project does go away, or they decide, or they something happens to one of the PPAs, then you know, during an upgrade, it could cause problems. So, uh, PPAs are a good way to customize, but I don't know if they're the greatest way to do it. So, you can kind of see the differences in the two projects as far as, you know, uh, one like a bunch of mate that, you know, has actually been worked on and doesn't rely uh, on PPAs, and one that's taken a base and added their, their stuff to the top of it. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Um, I just, when I look at um, the, the differences between the two, you know, uh Zorn's done a lot of cool stuff but uh I don't I, I don't like keeping adding layers the more layers you add on top of something something's bound to break but um other than that you know Zorn's been um really solid I've enjoyed my time with Zorn but Zorn is getting ready to be moved to the test machine um cuz I've got some new things to play with and so uh, I've made a clone and we will put the Zorin on. My test machine It's going to live there happily f- um, okay, and it won't get used as much, but <laughs> it's still around. <laughs> so,
0: um, Yeah, and I've got the ev- evaluation version of Zorin Ultimate in a virtual machine, and I've got Zorin Core in a virtual machine, and I've got another virtual machine with uh, an installation of Zorin Core... And then on top of that, I've installed the, what did I say, 700 and something? Yeah, 753 packages. 753 packages. packages, In libraries. All but six of them that I couldn't install. So I installed that on top. And I'm actually using that as kind of my Zorin test Mm. because it's got almost everything that either... Zorin Ultimate has or that you can install in Zorin Core and everything seems to function just fine yeah. and the way I went about just uh, if anybody's interested the way I went about determining how different Zorin Ultimate is than Zorin Core is I took the two installations Zorin Core and Zorin Ultimate and ran um DPKG with the appropriate uh, switches to get the list of applications installed. And then I used the diff command in the terminal to find out where the differences were. And that's where I determined that there were 753 differences, including libraries. And so I just then made a, a script that installs them all now that I had a list of what those applications were using apt install right? pseudo apt install, <laughs> and then list every package and it installed flawlessly except for those six apps. <laughs> and that's because you didn't have the premium PPA and you couldn't subscribe to it without paying the license fee. So yeah. I just installed them all and everything seems to work just fine. So, it it truly is what we suspected, which is you can install everything on Zorin Core that you get in Zorin Ultimate except for the stuff that they have hidden, those six packages that they have hidden behind the PPAs. Yeah. And apparently you don't need those to get your work done, so I think we're in good shape. I think Zorin is certainly something that we can continue to recommend. It's got its own way of displaying things on the screen, their own desktop environment, if you want. And it's interesting. It's not for me. It's probably for someone. I'm thinking someone who likes the Chrome interface on a Chromebook would like Zorin immediately. Yeah, it's very simple and clean that way. Uh, it still has the power of, of Linux behind it, unlike Chrome, where they've kind of locked you out of anything that's uh, <laughs> gives you any power. But it, with with Zorin, you have everything that you have in Ubuntu. It's just behind this veneer of glitziness. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of people like that glitziness. That's well, good.
1: like I said, I've been running, I'm getting ready to uh, I've got some projects that we've I've we've talked about so and like i said I, i'm probably going to move that over to my test machine because uh one of the things that i have been running deep and basically just sitting over here because i use it to download download stuff when i'm not on my main machine you know want to make a, uh you know i want to just kind of have like an archive or whatever of, of stuff mm-hmm. so i can quickly grab it and uh my uh deep end system it, reason it is getting, I have, it's having issues and it's weird issues. It's got uh, uh, graphical gl- glitches. Um, you know, I don't, not nothing's really changed, so yeah, I think it's, um, um, it's time to move it to something a little closer to the Ubuntu base. Now, at a, you sent me an email about a user who recommends check out Faran OS and. I did throw that on, um, my hardware as I was tinkering and, um, okay, it's, it, it's just like a customized version of, of uh, Mint, um, I, I kind of read through their site and I'm not quite sure what they're trying to do because they're talking about another, uh, going using a KDE interface and stuff, so I checked it out, um, it's, it seemed okay uh, not for me um i can't really it just seemed a little clunky but that could be that's mm-hmm. why they're going to KD or whatever so you know i'll keep an eye on it so uh i have uh, some people that asked me to check out the new pop os 19.10 i'm not a real big fan of the pop uh system um and it's the interface. It's because, you know, it's Ubuntu. But they do a lot of good work. So yeah. I'll, I'll probably throw that in a virtual machine. But I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, and this will, this will shock you. I'm kind of uh, thinking of using like a Zubuntu, um, on my machine because of the, the kind of the, I would say, Spartan inner, you, know, you can make it look nice, but the, the kind of the Spartan, no glitz, um it, desktop, right. you know, lighter resources and stuff, so I'll just know how that goes but probably the coolest thing I tested, and you knew I was going to do it, was the experimental ZFS support in Ubuntu 19.10 <laughs> it mm-hmm.
0: worked really well
1: you know, give me a reason to uh throw uh, something on my machine, I'm going to but uh I've been wanting to play <laughs> with ZFS for a while and um It, uh, it, it did have some caveats. It's experimental. Um, I listened to the Ubuntu podcast and they kind of said, Hey, if you see this, it's okay. That's what it's supposed to do. You know, it's still on the rough edges, but you know, me being me, I had to see if it would really work on the root system and it did. But the thing I noticed, and it could just be, I don't know enough about ZFS. I'm going to have to do a deep dive into it, but, uh, a stock Ubuntu 1910 with the EXT4 or the XFS file system, it sits about 1.1, 1.6, um, just kind of idle. And uh, mm-hmm. with the ZFS, it was using almost 4 gigs of memory at idle. Ooh, now, that's yeah, a that's different. difference. Now, I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if that's just part of the... Uh, ZFS file system or, you know, or it uses more RAM, but, uh, yeah, I have to keep an eye on that. Maybe someone that knows more about ZFS can say, hey, yeah, it does use more memory or maybe it was just because it was new and it's building something. I don't know. I left it sitting there overnight and it was still at, you know, it was like 3.6 with nothing open, and I'm like, that's a, that, that seems to me like that's a lot of um, a RAM, so... Um, when it comes out, maybe they they haven't optimized the uh, the memory usage on it or whatever. I'm not I'm not harshing on. It. I'm just saying that's what I saw when I was playing with it and not being a a ZFS um, uh, knowledgeable enough to really make a qualified statement. Did you happen to play with any ZF-
0: ZFS, Larry? No, not at all. And I, I'm trying to remember back that to the days when I was using OpenSUSE because it was using a journaling file system like ZFS is. Uh, At the time, it was using riser. And uh, I remember something about it indexing at the very beginning. So maybe it was just building that index for you and and it's it'd it'd settle out later I d do, i don't remember it's very very foggy <laughs> and it was quite a long time e x t four
1: we you yeah. know i i like to use uh c four or x f s but uh i would say that uh when they get the z f s nailed and get it you know out of experimental and get it where it's supported just as a as a uh type of uh you know file system like you you know you pick what you want type of deal um I, ZFS, you know, I li- I was listening to um, Alan Jude, and he he dives real deep into it. So I, I started listening, and some of the things that you know how they're explaining how it works and stuff is it's it's fascinating. So I really think ZFS might be the future of um, as far as like the preferred file system in Linux once they or at least in Ubuntu once they get nailed because it's got some cool features, snapshots rollbacks you know so it, it built into the system plus the way it does its writing and and stuff you know it's it's, it's all yeah. the different z-pools so yeah it, it, I, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that develops and if it makes it into do you think it's going to make it into the uh, uh, 2004 of ubuntu
0: yeah, the long-term yeah. support. Yeah, I I think that's what they're shooting for. And if they can get all these little niggly bugs worked out, it'll be in there for sure. Yeah, I think that's the goal. And hopefully they're able to actually accomplish yeah. that.
1: Okay, enough of us talking about ZFS, Zorin, Farron, OS and Zumbuntu, and Amate. So what do you say we read some of the emails that we're supposed to do?
0: Yeah, it's been a while since we've recorded, so we've okay, got quite cool. a few. Let's get started. Yeah. All right. Uh, our first email is from David, who emailed us to ask us to try Makulu Linux. He says, I recently retired and have become somewhat of a Linux fanatic, according to my son. I enjoy your podcast and find it informative and enjoyable. I came across a Debian-based distro called Makulu, and he's spelling that m-a-k-u-l-u for those of you who want to check this out i've only been using it for two days running as a virtual machine but searching your episode archives i saw no mention of it it appears to be a rather new member of the distro collection so i thought i'd mention it to you for possible evaluation and maybe hear your comments on an episode at some point also though linux is has a good reputation as it relates to virus and malware vulnerabilities. It is not invulnerable. I have been exploring ClamAV and TK. Your archives indicate that you had an episode on Clam several years ago. Might be good to mention again your call. What I am finding in casual conversation with some people is that Linux cannot be a victim of such things, and I think I'd be correct to remark that Linux is much less vulnerable, but is not completely immune. I see this as possibly setting Linux up for a black eye if at some later point someone does create something bad. Basic safe computing practices still need to be practiced. Much easier to do with Linux, but still prudent. Thanks for your time. Keep up the nice work on a podcast. David B. Yeah, your points are all very... Valid Linux is not immune to malware and intrusions and all those kinds of things. It's just repaired and fixed. The vulnerabilities are addressed much more quickly in Linux than they are in any other operating system. And oftentimes they are fixed before they appear in the wild. So you never see them not invulnerable. Linux can be attacked and is, in fact, attacked by malware constantly, same as any other operating system. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely something that, as I've said often, insulates you from viruses and spyware. I'm not going to say it's virus-proof or spyware-proof or malware-proof. It's providing you with a level of security that Rivals the other operating systems out there, or most of them, anyway. Yeah, and
1: it's not controlled by one person or a corporation, so you know that's probably one of the biggest reasons people run Linux is they can actually audit the code if they know how to do that. Um, they are able to say, "I know this one person who is not holding all the keys." Uh, Windows 10 or even Mac OS, they you can't audit the code, so sometimes it's hard to see what's going on, or even to fix something. So, yeah, that's part of the reason I like it is, uh, you know, you're able to actually, um, there's a lot more eyeballs. And if you're having a problem, someone else usually has had that problem is either offered a fix or knows how to work around it. So it looks like I might have to uh, try a new Linux distro, Larry. <laughs>
0: I have not heard of Makulu Linux before this, and I certainly haven't tried it, so I knew you'd be up yeah, for the challenge.
1: Yeah, yeah. Poor, my poor machine gets reinstalled and blasted back so many times. I'm surprised I haven't wore the uh, SSD out yet. So the next email comes from John, and he has a no-internet problem. He writes, Hi, Larry and Bill, uh, with two question marks, and he says, um, I Haven't had to ask for help in some time, but this problem has me stumped. With exclamation points and question marks. He says, in Ubuntu 18.1, will not uh, allow Firefox or Chromium uh, internet connectivity, though I can do updates, but nothing else, and he wants to know why. Another thing uh, in searching the web, I can't copy and paste from Mate, which works okay in VirtualBox, but Control Paste won't work, or Control Shift won't either. I, I'm sure I sure can't write all those pseudo commands and try them. Copy Paste is so useful. Why won't it work? All my distros are running in VirtualBox as as always. Uh, Mate works fine. No connectivity issues at all. Just Ubuntu 18 won't allow the internet, but it must be working or I couldn't do updates, right? And he says, thanks for helper suggestions, John and Dallas.
0: Yeah, something funky going on there. I'm not sure that it's a no internet problem. If you are getting the updates, you have the internet. And this copy-paste thing, I, I'd be looking at VirtualBox and see if there's an issue there. You might want to try the Vert Manager which comes in ubuntu Uh, in the repositories it's not by default it's i think it's v-i-r-t dash manager that's what i use for virtual machines and it uh, doesn't have some of the issues that i've noticed with virtualbox and i try to avoid any software that's created by oracle (laughs) anyway so anyway uh that's that's yeah. neither here nor there but Vert manager seems to work for me and um i'd be just double checking that there isn't a problem with virtual yeah
1: uh, and uh when i was reading your email you said 18.1 is it are you running like 1804.1 or are you running like 18.10 um I'm kind of stumped uh, about which one he's running. So yeah,, Larry, this sounds like it might be a virtual box problem.
0: Yeah, I think so. but something may have changed in VirtualBox, or if if it's working with other distributions mm-hmm. in the same virtual box environment, maybe it's something on the installation that's a problem and I'd be tempted to kind of blow it away and start over again or at least create a new VirtualBox session and see if installing it from scratch will work. I have a
1: quick suggestion for him. Yeah, since download GNOME Boxes, which is a, a really super simple, almost uh, click-and-forget-it uh, VirtualBox uh, manager, and, mm-hmm. and see if that... Uh, if it works in that because it, it's really, really quick. You can test things. I don't know if you've used gnome boxes, but it's a very bare bones uh stripped down way to get something up and running really quick in in a virtual machine. So maybe maybe try that.
0: Yeah. I I th- I think I may have tried it once, uh, when I was looking for an alternative to VirtualBox and settled on Vert Manager, but I don't think I did anything with it that would justify saying that i know anything about it so anyhow yeah john so give those suggestions a try and let us know what comes of it okay our next email is from michael who has a problem with bluetooth hi larry and bill i managed to connect a bluetooth headset or earbuds to my hp laptop but i'm having problems when trying to reconnect after the first time i have paired and connected them The error message I get is as follows. Connection failed. failure. I am using the latest version of Ubuntu Mate and think I have to use a Bluetooth dongle in one of my USB ports to be able to use Bluetooth devices. It is the same HP Presario I have had since my last emails to you. Well, Michael, part of the reason for some of the failures this morning for us to start on time was the fact that my Bluetooth connection to my headset wasn't working. Works fine with the mouse, but it has audio connection issues. And I know that on 18.04, the long term support release version of Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate, it worked just fine. But in the interim releases, there have been some issues I've noticed, and I'm on 18.10 at this point, and I think, excuse me, 19.10 at this point and i think that that's one of the things that they really need to focus in on fixing before we go to the next long-term support release is these failures of bluetooth i noticed that the error reporting software the automatic uh, reporting of errors is much better in the later releases And so I know that my machine has provided multiple errors as I've had multiple crashes. And so they're getting a lot of feedback as to what was going on at the time of the crash. And hopefully they'll be able to fix it once and for all before the next LTS. Uh, I have about six different ways to connect my audio. Uh, And only six. Two Bluetooth ways. Yes. The two Bluetooth ways all failed me this morning. And so I have a. Um, You know, like like an animal, a a (laughs) cable running from my headset over to my docking station plugged into an audio jack port. I mean, what's that? That's like barbaric.
1: Larry, I was going to make fun of you about uh, running uh, an interim release uh, on your production machine, but I figured that would be like me throwing rocks at a glass house because I've been known to do much more extreme things. So uh
0: oh, yeah. yes. Well, I, in fact, I was actually running the beta on my production machine for uh, a <laughs> while. So, hey, I can't complain. So, uh I I understand. Uh, I know there's
1: the re- I know the reason behind why you you're um you're doing it, but uh don't you enjoy living on the edge?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's always exciting.
1: Uh, Michael then followed up. He said, hi again. I restarted my laptop with my Bluetooth dongle in the laptop and went into Bluetooth manager under contro- the control panel and found my headset and went into menu. I chose the headphones or headset and it connected this time. It is like it is inconsistent when a headset is connected. Sometimes it connects, sometimes it doesn't. I have even chosen trust in the Bluetooth menu All uh, the best with going legs. So I think you're right, Larry. um, They probably need to do some work on the Bluetooth stack.
0: And the way he describes it, that's exactly the way I I see it as well. Inconsistency. Not a good thing in software. But you're
1: having to do it the animal way today. Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) All right. All right. George provides us a report from the field about Softmaker Free Office. I long ago bought the Android version of this company's office suite, was well satisfied with it, installed it via the Android apps on Chromebook on a Chromebook. Worked well there too. After the dust-up when Manjaro was going to provide it in their distribution instead of LibreOffice, and there was a broad number of Linux blogs and podcasts commenting it was more compatible with Microsoft than Libre, I decided to give it a spin. Installed the 64-bit Deb version with no issues in Linux Mint Cinnamon 19.2, the separate modules for text, spreadsheet, and presentation appeared on my Cinnamon menu. Uh, Opened a loan amortization template we keep in XLS format for compatibility, as we have to share it when completed with prospective borrowers, borked perhaps not irretrievably, but was going to have to diagnose and verify where and why it went wrong. Opened a second, much simpler spreadsheet in ODF from LibreOffice. Opened fine. Managed to line up text that had imported from source in all three possible alignments. Converted numeric columns correctly to the numeric format I was using. Then I went looking for a way to adjust the column widths without clicking and dragging the column, and the entire program locked up tight. Xkill, purge, (laughs) your mileage may vary. Have pity on poor Mike Tech Show, episode 701. So by way of explanation, we have mentioned, or I have mentioned, Mike Tech Show on this podcast, and this is a comment on Mike's podcast okay hack some years ago he moved a client's offsite windows email service from one company to another had troubles with authentication so he set up 10 users with weak passwords intending later to set up stronger ones forgot the 10 users accounts were hacked and somehow the hacker also set a server rule which had to be found to, and deleted to regain control House flood. Mike apparently didn't know the drain pan of his air conditioner unit could fill and dump nasty water into his ceiling. Insulation, sheetrock, mattress, disaster. Then, moving truck cuts internet. To clear space for repairs, furniture had to be put in storage, moving truck Cut the Fios cable, bringing internet to his home. He said it happens once a year when a truck of some kind that's too tall enters his driveway. The first time it happened at my house, I'd have attached a pole of some kind to the house to elevate the incoming wire. That's, per mic, too low. Uh, then a hard disk drive failure. In spite of system warnings, he just kept using a 3 terabyte drive that was going bad. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) And then Windows 10 update issues. Guess you could say he's a fellow traveler with Sacha Nadella, making a living off the dysfunction of Windows. Then ticket management. He says he knows he needs to automate, which is what triggered me to mention Invoice Ninja to you in an earlier email. But really, Okay, so I guess George, you are uh, an avid listener of Mike's um, never-ending adventures of trying to help people with their Windows machines as a Windows technician, and yeah, he's um, he's got his his challenges, <laughs> some of them self-inflicted, and you've you know you've you've listed a few that I've listened to recently, and it's never. And it's a never—it seems to be a never-ending source of amusement for me to listen to poor Mike, as you have observed. So, yeah, we'll all have pity on Mike.
1: Yeah, uh, wow. <laughs> I think I would be just curl up in a corner if I had all those all the time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so our next email comes from. I, if I murdered your name, I apologize in advance. Tyler, and Tyler reports uh, skid map Linux malware uses rootkit capabilities to hide cryptocurrency mining payload. Vinify uh, comments. Hi Larry and Bill. Treadmicro researchers have found a new form of malware called Skidmap that affects Linux machines. It works by adding an unauthorized public key to the infected machine's authorized key file, allowing attackers to log in as any other user to the system. A, there's a link in the show notes to the article. And then Kevin Bocek, uh, Vice President of Security Strategy and Threat Intelligence at Machine Identity Protection Provider, uh, Venify, uh, provide the following comments. Attackers are ramping up their crypto mining attacks, taking advantage of a scary secret. There is no control of the SS. H machine identif- identities that control access to Linux's most mission critical decision making systems. SkidMap is a case in point. Cyber attackers can create a backdoor that lives on for years and even decades by inserting their own SSH key, making it trustworthy. We see these taxes you tactics used so effectively to target critical infrastructure because security teams really have oversight of the SSH keys that control access. These keys don't expire, creating an encrypted backdoor that, that attackers can use until they're detected. The reality is that this type of attack happens every day and is pervasive even in the most sophisticated secure networks in the world. SkidMap and others have free reign until security teams get serious about controlling their SSH environment and equip themselves to automatically remediate affected keys immediately. No security team would ever tolerate passwords that don't expire and can't be changed even after a breach. The same principle needs to be applied to SSH. Please let me know if you have any questions for uh, for Kevin uh, Bocek. Uh, Thanks, Tyler.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and obviously Tyler or Tila or however you pronounce it is one of those people who sends out requests to get people interviewed on podcasts mm. like ours. But I thought this was important enough, the skid map infection thing that it kind of illustrates what uh, a previous uh, uh, listener, Dave, was saying that Linux is not invulnerable. To attacks and what I'm hoping is that this skid map thing has been fixed and if not fixed then at least we need people who are using SSH to be aware that it's not secure okay our next email comes from Corey, who needs to know how to reset a forgotten password Corey writes, hi, I've listened to your show over the years and really enjoy it. And it is only recently I decided to revisit Linux. So I installed Unity on an old desktop, but I've forgotten my password. I searched and the procedure I have tried is to restart and hold the shift key, which will bring up the Ubuntu menu, but it's not working and I cannot figure out why. So I'm reaching out to you. The PC is using UEFI." But other than that, I am not sure what else you may need. Appreciate your help. Corey. Bill, have you had any experience on resetting passwords in Linux? Hmm.
1: No. <laughs> um, I have never had to reset a password in Ubuntu. I I could probably find out, but I don't know. How about you? Uh, not much help there. <laughs>
0: um. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's not something that I've done recently, simply because it's so easy to reinstall. <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 almost quicker to reinstall the operating system than it is to reset the password. And what I have done is, if I haven't encrypted the hard drive, I have booted to a live environment from a USB stick, and copied any data that I want over to a separate hard drive, reinstalled the operating system, remember the password <laughs> this time and move all the data back. And that is very very easy. We do have a uh, a link to resetting passwords and as long as you have physical access to the machine, you are able to reset a linux password as uh, from the command line as you boot in and you can also use a live cd to do it and the technique is to use the command p-a-s-s-w-d as root and there's a switch to do that and then to reset the password using that and as long as you have access to the physical machine and you haven't encrypted the hard drive. That should work just fine in resetting the password. Like I said, we'll have a link to a couple of different articles on how you how you do that. There's one with with a video on how to do that. Um, in fact, I think what we'll do is we will just include that it's FOSS video link as the primary link to you, and uh, that will be a. Um, A lesson learned remember your passwords, yeah.
1: And if it isn't, well, you know, as more and more Linux distros, like for instance, Pop! OS automatically encrypts the hard drive right out of the box. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think more Linux distros are heading that way. So if you forget that password, you're pretty much uh, out of luck. Um, and that's that's and that's a good and bad thing is bad if because you forgot your password but good for your security if someone happens to steal your laptop or your computer they you know it makes it harder for them to get into <laughs> your your files so yeah there's kind of uh good uh, pluses and minuses to that so anyway our next uh email comes from stefan and he asks us to comment on google chrome and telemetry hi larry and bill Recently I heard your episodes 375 and 376 and I'm, and I'm wondering about your recommendation of the Google Chrome browser because you talked in number 375 or what might have been 376 I'm, and he says I'm not sure about the massive telemetry of Windows 10. But Google Chrome is no better. It also collects large amounts of data from the user and tracks it. Please comment on that. Okay, um, Everybody knows that Google collects data from from their browsers, um, and that that you're absolutely right. Uh, they're they're just as bad, or maybe even worse than Microsoft. The um, but the problem is if you're if you're uh, if you use Google Chrome and you're familiar with it, would you rather be using it on Windows 10, or would you at least like to be using it on Linux and maybe have a little bit more security? That being said, uh, I have personally made a effort. Uh, right now, I don't even have Google Chrome installed on my personal machine. I'm using Firefox. Uh, but I, I have been a Chrome user and my work laptop has Google Chrome and that's what they installed on it. Um, anything you do on the internet is pretty much tracked and looked at, um, to some extent. So, if you don't want to use Google chrome there is a Chromium browser uh or there's firefox uh and i believe there's a few others like uh vivaldi and uh uh what's oh and there's uh, opera and
0: there's brave and yeah lots of yeah lots oh, there's brave ones,
1: yeah. I forgot about brave that if you're if you're worried about the telemetry but still want to have like the google chrome uh it i believe it's that's webkit isn't it larry Google Chrome,
0: I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. so a lot of
1: cr- browsers are going to the WebKit, so you can maybe find another WebKit-based uh, browser. Um, but so far, Firefox has been working well. So there's has been a few issues, but uh, as far as you know, multimedia playback stuff. But I found um, there's a in new one anyway. There's a switch that lets you say, yeah, play um, DRM, and so th- they kind of tying it all together. So we're not recommending Chrome, but if you're a Chrome user or you or you need it to get your work done or stuff, then we pretty much say, you know, use it. You know, but everybody needs to kind of decide on for themselves what uh, what amount of data they're willing to, you know, freely give. Larry.
0: Yep, absolutely. I agree, a hundred percent with everything you said, and. If you don't like using the Chrome browser, use something else. There are others, like some of the ones that you just mentioned, Bill, that don't provide as much telemetry. I think that there is an advantage to providing telemetry. Uh, and if you look at things like Ubuntu, the telemetry that they provide helps them to identify uh, what their usage is, where the problems are. I mentioned earlier the uh, failure and bug reporting system built into Ubuntu. That's telemetry. So not all telemetry is bad, but you don't want to be giving personally identifiable information or location information without of good valid reason and i think those are the kinds of things that people are worried about when they say they don't like windows and they don't like chrome because of what they provide i'm sure that uh, firefox does telemetry as well i mean they certainly have a lot of statistics on their users and so on so you know it's it's not all bad but it's it becomes bad if they're doing if they're collecting information that they don't need to improve their software. So there you go. All right. Michael says he, his volume is dropping. Hi Larry and Bill running the latest Ubuntu Mate. Whenever I reboot my computer, the sound volume keeps being turned down. So I keep having to go into the sound icon, increase the volume and close it. It is like my sound volume is only set temporarily. How do I change this? It affects the volume when I use Orca, as well as the volume of Rhythmbox when playing podcasts. Is this possibly an issue with the latest Ubuntu Mate? I know there is a sound issue in previous versions of Ubuntu, which caused the loss of Orca whenever you switch between the laptop speaker or used wired headphones. That issue seems to have been fixed. Michael from West Yorkshire, UK. Well, Michael, yes, it is probably an issue with whatever latest version of Ubuntu Mate it is you're using. And I'm suspecting that might be 19.04 since 1910 just came out. And I received your email before 1910 came out. So it's possible that that's been an issue that's been fixed in 1910. That's one of the reasons why for the average user, we recommend you stick with the long-term support releases because they iron out all these little niggly things for the long-term support releases. And it's those interim releases where they have these issues that they are addressing and get fixed. So that's not really helpful to you. It'll eventually get fixed. It is something I think... As long as you're on an interim release, you're going to have to deal with these kinds of annoyances. But once you're on the long-term support release, the 2004 release, these kinds of issues shouldn't be bothering you. I'd suggest you stick with that for a couple of years until the next long-term support release. And maybe some of these issues won't be hitting you so hard. Okay.
1: So our next email comes from from Tim who thanks us for the Switchers episode. He writes, "Uh, Hi guys, I really enjoyed your last episode about switching uh, part 1. I am uh, in the audience for that topic except I use Mac OS at home and not Windows very much. But like Windows 10 failing so far from the glory days of Windows 7 that I liked and respected. Apple has been pissing me off ever since OS 10.6, Snow Leopard successor 10.7 wasn't as good. Every year they get worse and annoy me more. I've had it with both Microsoft and Apple. This year I resolved to retire my 2012 MacBook Pro to only partial use and make a Linux laptop my primary daily driver. I've been experimenting with a number of distributions this summer on an old windows seven PC I built for the, for the occasional windows program use. I look forward uh, to the next parts of your series on switching and wanting to let you know that your work is very much appreciated. Best regards, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Tim. Oh, Tim. I'm sorry. Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, Not enough coffee, apparently. So, yeah, thanks. I'm glad you find it uh, helpful.
0: Yep, absolutely. Okay, our next email is from Joran who provided some feedback on random numbers. Hi, in the contest you announced about a Zoran distribution, you said you would use an imperfect random number generator for the drawing. I was curious about the imperfectness. Won't you use the slash dev slash u random or even slash dev slash random source for random numbers? I thought it was supposed to provide really good randomness. The manual page does give that impression to me. Do you know that to be incorrect? Will you use some other method for some reason, or was I just passing a comment I didn't really mean that—that that didn't really mean that much? P.S. I am happy with my fedora and don't wish to enter the contest. Give the Zoran OS to someone who appreciated it more. P.S. Two, not the game, just a postscript from for some additional nerdage assume you have the number of entries in the shells variable entries you could get a random number between zero and entries minus one with this cute one liner and then he provides a one line script and a more terse version which is even shorter if you are really strict unless entries evenly divides by 2 to the 64th this will give a slightly higher probability to end entries numbered less than 2 to the 64th entries with some extra code that can could be avoided too. If you really care. And then a smiley face, uh, your Thanks. Uh, getting perfect randomness in the random number generator was not the objective. I was just trying to get this thing to sort the list of emails in a way that gave some sort of randomness to the, uh, to the drawing to make it as fair as we could make it without going through all kinds of (laughs) research in ensuring that random number generator was perfectly random. In fact, all I did was use the RAND function in Google Sheets, and that seemed to work just fine. So I chose the less than perfect but easy route, and it did well. Did it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It did. We got a winner.
1: So, Michael wrote us about Python and Pluma. Hi, Larry and Bill. Thanks for recommending Pluma as a text editor for my coding in Python. I don't know if things changed, but when I was trying to write code at uh, H- Hudlug, the Hattersfield uh, Linux users group, which is now discontinued, I thought you had to write a command to tell anything written in a text editor that it had to be uh Python code. I did think it used to start with something like the pound bin bash or something like that and some similar line at the end. Looking at the basic program that just printed the message hello world there was a piece of code in this example which was something like uh, dollar sign py, and I thought this was what was needed at the top of my file uh, and there was Dollar sign, $hello.py at the end. At paddock Hall, where I have been able to program, program without distraction, someone sat next to me tried going through the code with me as I kept getting a syntax error. I, I even changed the first line to have spaces between words and still got syntax error. I wondered before I did it if I should just get rid of the top line altogether because... I didn't know if there was a top line, last line, or both affecting my code. It was suggested to me by the person uh, s- sat next to me that I might need to specify where my file was oh, as I was just typing Python 3 followed by the n- file name for the uh, from the mate terminal. Removing both the top and bottom lines and just having the print hello uh, world fixed my problem, so possibly just saving the file with uh, hello.py in this case in Pluma, uh, cut out any need for extra code before and after my print statement. Some of the Python commands, or at least the print command in is similar to basic apart from things like the number of lines you had in command-based basic apart from the fact that the print command has to be have an open bracket without a space, after the print command and closing bracket at the end, after the close quotes around what needs to be printed in a text. All the best with going links, Michael.
0: Okay, Michael. Uh, as far as Python is concerned, I'm certainly no Python expert, but I don't think there's anything... That you need to include at the beginning of a python script to tell it that it's python i think because you're using it in an interpreter if i remember correctly you just write the script and give it python and then the name of the script or whatever you know whatever it is to call up python to run it and it runs Uh, what you may be remembering is for bash scripts or shell scripts we had mentioned that you need to begin those scripts with um, an exclamation mark and then a hash symbol uh, and then the word bin and the word bash uh, and or bin and then sh if you're just using a simple shell uh, script so uh, what's confusing and one of the reasons why i think you use the pound symbol the british currency symbol in your email is because here in america that hash symbol or the octal thorpe is called a pound symbol because that's how we abbreviate pounds as in the weight not the currency so it gets very confusing so that's why i think most of us in linux and most of us in the programming world when we're talking about Uh, shell scripting, we use the term hash rather than pound as we do here in uh, North America. So having said all that, if it's a shell script, yes, you'll need something at the beginning of the script to tell you that it is a shell script. I don't think you need it for Python. I could be very, very wrong there. And I'm hoping some of our minions will tell us if I am. But, you know, basic uh, software is is a whole different thing. Each language has its own way of doing things and its own. It's a language, right? So it's got its own syntax and everything else that goes along with it. So I think you were confusing a couple of different things there. And in either case, you can use a simple text editor to write out your Applications using whatever programming language you want. If you want to use something like Visual Studio Code, there are certainly versions of that for Linux, and that can help you with formatting and things like that. But what I found is Pluma or gedit or any of the standard text editors are quite functional when it comes to creating programs in whatever language you decide to use so bill i think that's our last email for this time our next episode do you think we'll have something for uh our next switchers episode absolutely okay sounds good
1: so yeah our next episode will be uh uh, another uh, episode in the switchers um series so until then you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes as well as
0: links to download and subscribe we are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done.
1: And if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining discussion in our Going Linux podcast community or on community.goinglinux.com.
0: Until next time, thanks for listening. Seventy-three.